You're listening to the free abridged edition of the Energy Transition Show. American coal, nuclear energy, natural gas, hydro, solar power, wind turbines. We're becoming a monumental exporter of natural gas. This boom in the United States is not a bubble that's going away. The oil's still there. I'd rather pump it from another country and save ours, and then when the rest of the world runs out, hey, guess what? We can yeah. still turn on our lights. We've run into a problem where we have constraints, where there are limits now. The new phase we're going into related to the exhaustion of these resources, there's no replacement. This is a one-shot affair, and we're unprepared for it. Really, we do not have very much more time to get a handle on this problem. It's better to get to a renewable future, a sustainable future, sooner rather than later. Get there before we do the environmental damage, not after. For October 31st, 2018, this is the Energy Transition Show with Chris Nilder. We have something a little different for you in this episode. Back in February, I did a live conversation about the principles of energy transition with friend of the show, Dave Murphy, a professor of environmental studies at St. Lawrence University. You may remember Dave from episode seven of this podcast, where we discussed net energy on EROI. Dave and I were invited to stage this live event at the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs, by Devin Meller, an instructor in the Department of Geography and Environmental Studies at UCCS. In a bit of a role switch, Dave played the interviewer this time, and I played the interviewee. We recorded this conversation without any specific intent about what to do with it, but once I heard the edit, I decided it would be a good Energy Transition 101 kind of episode that newcomers to the topic would find useful, and it might help balance out some of the geekier typical fare for this show. Plus, it was just plain fun. Dave and I are old friends who enjoy talking about this stuff even when we're off work, and the setting for this conversation, a bar on the campus of UCCS, lent itself to a more casual, freewheeling kind of vibe. Plus, since I was the guest and not the host, I didn't have to do any particular prep work for this conversation. Dave did that, and I just commented off the cuff. Shrewd observers will note that we have promised our subscribers two shows a month, which is 24 shows a year, but in fact, we launch a new show every two weeks, which is 26 shows a year. So effectively, we produce two more shows a year than we advertise, which leaves a little more room for the occasional off-the-beaten-track show. So consider this show one of those, a bit of lanyap, as they say in New Orleans. Dave is working on a textbook about energy transition for his undergraduate classes, and based on that work, he framed up our conversation around what he sees as some of the key principles of energy transition, which he identifies as follows. Foster resilience, save first, energize people, embrace fair market power, renewable and net energy positive, and match means with the ends, or as my dad always used to say, use the right tool for the job. I think you'll find this discussion a refreshing change of pace. Plus, you'll see a bit more of my natural fumbling for the right word, which is more often edited out in our normal shows. Then in the news segment, we'll mark a major milestone for the troubled Votal nuclear plant in Georgia. We'll have a close look at fresh economic data on the Tesla big battery in Australia. We'll review a slew of new coal power plant retirement announcements in the U.S. We'll have a good look at some new cost data on solar in the U.S. And we'll check on coal protests in Germany. But first, my live conversation with Dave Murphy, recorded February 13th, 2018. Thanks for everybody for coming. We hope you find this informative and fun. And we will save time for questions at the end. So please hang on to them. So we're going to talk about renewable energy transition. And what we're going to talk about today is the principles of the renewable energy transition is something that I've been developing and I'm committing like somewhat of a cardinal sin when you're an academic. And that is to like talk publicly about work that you haven't published yet <laughs> and you're not sure is like there. But I thought it would be... A Which good is what I do every two weeks. So. Yeah, right. <laughs> 
So I was like, maybe that's perfect. And we'll just bring Chris down and we can kind of hash out these ideas and then get feedback from everybody here about your thoughts. So I'm just going to give a little brief introduction to this topic and then we'll we'll kind of like work our way through the principles in a conversational format here. So basically over the past, I don't know, five or so years, especially, it's definitely picked up steam in the last five or so years. It's been a surge in research that could be generally called the renewable energy transition. There's been a couple books and I'm going to pronounce this wrong. Chris corrected me on the car ride down and I'm sure he will do it again. Energe Vende. Oh. Ooh. So how do you actually pronounce it? Energy Vende. Energy Vende. So that's the German word for... Energy transition. Energy transition. And it was written by a couple of people living in Germany about how they have approached the energy transition. There's a similar book that's in English, at least the title of which is called Quitting Carbon, about the same thing in Denmark. There's been series within the Nature Journal series on energy transition. Chris now has a podcast called The Energy Transition Show. And oh, and Vaclav Smeal, right? Not to be left out of anything. Energy has a new book on energy transitions, right? So there's been kind of this surge in research going on. And just energy transitions in general, just to put a finer point on it, is just kind of a large scale society change in the way in which it gets its energy. You can break that down in history and you could say that there's been two major energy transitions. The first one has been from biomass, that's anything kind of natural solar energy, if you will, to fossil fuels, really to coal in the beginning, and then perhaps from coal to oil and gas, or maybe you might just want to say from biomass to fossil fuels in general. Now we're at the cusp of what could be the third of these, and that is the transition to renewable energy. You know, at the broadest level, renewable energy research encompasses everything from technological literature and talking about different technologies that produce energy from the sun, from wind, to even encompassing the climate change literature. If you consider the fact that the impetus for the renewable energy transition is based in large part, you know, in the problems we're having with climate change and damage to the ecosphere. So with such a broad range in application, it runs the risk of it not being grounded in any theory, not being grounded in any principles. And the problem with that is that you end up focusing on the means and not the ends. And that is you end up focusing on technologies. Okay, let's produce solar. But not like, okay, why are we producing solar? To what end? And where do we go when we produce a lot of solar? Like, where does that leave us? And that's really a problem for policymakers because it's very easy for a policymaker to focus on a technology, but we want to evaluate policies against some other greater criteria to make sure that we're going somewhere positive. And the end goal here is that this energy transition leads to the betterment of society and not to its detriment. So that's really what's prompted me to begin thinking about this and cobble together these principles of the renewable energy transition. So instead of giving a standard academic talk on that, Devin had the idea, actually, to get Chris involved, so I called Chris up, been friends for a while, I said, why don't you, you know everything about energy transition, you know more than me, very much in the thick of it, why don't we bring Chris into the fold? So before we get into the principles, Chris, I want to bring you into the conversation. Right. So what are your reflections on the energy transition? Anything to add? Well, it's a great framing. For those of you who are not familiar with my podcast, it's the Energy Transition Show, energytransitionshow.com. There's a free version of each episode that comes out every two weeks. The free version is, you know, is usually 20 minutes long, and the subscriber version is usually more like 90 minutes long. Each episode is one interview with a single person, usually a professor, about what they know. And we like to go really deep on 
technical matters, but there's a geek rating for each episode, so you can choose your adventure, you know, if you're... My, if my you're episode not, was, the geek rating was not very high, so you can start but with you that. you know what? It's not a competition either. Like, <laughs> I think there needs to be things available for everyone. I would just say about the energy transition that it would have been nice if we could have formed energy policy deliberately in this country, if we knew why we were doing it and we actually had leadership that was setting forth a vision to say why we're doing energy transition and how we plan to go about it. That's the way that, well, frankly, somewhat more technocratic countries in Europe, particularly Scandinavia, have gone about it and they've been extraordinarily successful because of that. In this country, we bumble around. I've compared the formation of energy policy in this country to peewee soccer where you have bunches chasing the ball, you know, against each other. Nobody plays their position. Nobody even knows how to play a position. It would be nice if we could just form energy policy with a deliberate end in this country. And it would be nice if we could try to execute it in a deliberate way instead of trying to jam it all through the tax code, which seems to me like a really weird way to go about doing anything. But that's how we do energy policy in this country. So with that framing, why don't we talk about your principles? But it's really about climate change. That's really the main reason why we're doing it now. There were earlier in the 60s and the 70s, the 80s, I think there were a lot of people that saw energy transition in a slightly different light. We weren't so concerned about climate change then. We were more concerned about you know, not sending money to uh, foreign dictators that we didn't like for their oil. That was 100% the impetus behind Denmark's transition that started in the 70s after the oil shock. Absolutely. We thought the oil shock was bad here in 1973 in the U.S. Denmark was 90% energy reliant on imported oil. And as soon as the oil shock hit in the early 70s, the whole country was like, whoa, we have to figure out a way that we can be self-sufficient. And it took them a little while. They went to coal. wasn't the best idea, but then they got out of that. And now there are entire days in Denmark when they provide more than 100% of the total country's electricity needs through wind, wind, mainly through offshore wind. The original impetus for the energy transition in Germany, where we got this energy vendor to begin with, was because they wanted to get off of nuclear power. And for people today who are concerned about climate, they are very puzzled by the fact that Germany decided to retire its nuclear reactors before its coal. But they had their own reasons. A lot of it had to do with social disenfranchisement and the way that they had gone about it at a bureaucratic level in Germany. And also people were very, very concerned about the risks involved in nuclear power. And they felt that the entities that were building the nuclear plants were not trustworthy and really concerned about the safety of the public. Of course, that's all the way back to the 70s. Now Germany is, in fact, phasing out its nuclear power and is beginning to phase out its coal. Mm -hmm. But pro-nuclear critics will tell you a different version of that story, and hopefully we don't have to go down that rabbit hole tonight (laughs) because it's a dirty, dark hole. Yeah. All right. I'll avoid it. Yeah. I can't speak for the audience. All right. So we'll start with the principles now. The first one I developed is to foster resilience, okay? This is a concept borrowed from the ecological literature. I'm gonna throw a definition at you from Holling in 1973. Heads up, this is kind of an intense sentence. A measure of the persistence of systems and their ability to absorb change and disturbance and still maintain the same relationships between populations or state variables. Translation for us in the energy transition 
is it's the ability to maintain the services that we require given changes or disturbances in energy flows. You right? mean like keeping the lights on when there's a hurricane? That's why we bring Chris, right? Yeah, keeping the lights on when we have a hurricane. And there are two critical components to resilience, okay? The first one is decentralization, okay? In terms of energy, this is fairly simple. Smaller, more modular facilities instead of large centralized energy sources. The second one is a little bit more interesting, and that's functional redundancy. This is another idea from the literature, and I teach Environmental Studies 101, and, and the way you understand functional resiliency in an ecosystem is by looking at species and looking at the functional group. So basically, a species serves a certain function within an ecosystem. So to have functional redundancy means that you have multiple species that do the same function within that ecosystem. In coral reefs, there are certain fish species that are grazers, and they graze off algae from the coral, which allow new coral to form. That's a very important role, and different reef systems have different amount of species that all do that same role. So if sickness or illness were to hit one species, another one could still fulfill that role. This is a critical concept for the energy transition, because if we have one area of energy flow or energy supply go down, we want to be able to provide that service from some alternate flow. So my question, Chris, is where do you see this playing out in the energy world and in energy transition? Do you at all? Is this foreign or is this happening? All these things are really key elements of energy transition. One of the things, one of the key principles, I think, that guides concepts of energy transition is you're moving from, on the power grid anyway, from sort of a hub-and-spoke system to a highly decentralized system, right? So instead of just a few large power plants connected by big transmission lines that are going down to some distribution system and then going out on feeder lines to homes where the power just moves in one direction, we're now moving to a system where we have highly decentralized and distributed resources. So you've got a rooftop solar system on a house that might be actually sending energy back onto the grid, and there might be millions of them instead of just a handful of power plants, where the transmission grid might not even come into play with a lot of that because the power is actually going from the roof right to the distribution system and then right back out to the distribution system, but never hits the transmission system. So right there you have this distributed resiliency aspect built in to the fact that it's a distributed system. The functional redundancy aspect of it is clearly evident when you have the fact that it's distributed. So if you have a power plant that goes down in, in one side of a city, you have thousands of solar systems that are actually providing that same function. They're supplying power to the grid in a distributed way. So I think in that sense, you know, the biological analogy is an interesting one. Yeah, I think so too. And the other part of resilience, you can examine resilience from the disturbance aspect as well. And I parsed them into two different kinds of disturbances in terms of the energy transition. I had discrete and structural, and I don't like the term structural. And you had, what was it? Acute, uh, acute and chronic. And chronic, yeah. right. So Dude, acute, the chronic. Yeah, right. yeah. Acute disturbances are like a hurricane that would come through, like what happened in Puerto Rico. It's a good example. It's a punctuated event that causes a disturbance to energy flows. The chronic issue comes about through 50 years of lack of investment in the infrastructure in the grid system in Puerto Rico. So now when the event occurs, 
it's highly susceptible to systemic outages and systemic failures. So it's kind of the opposite of resilience. So you have to guard against both those kind of disturbances. And I think decentralization and functional redundancy do that as well. Yeah, I mean, as you just mentioned that, I was thinking about how maybe you could look at the retirement of coal capacity in this country as an example of a chronic aspect of this because it's where you're retiring plants on a regular basis every single year for year after year after year and that capacity is diminishing you have to have a way to replace that capacity yeah and we're sort of doing that in a in a fashion just by the mere fact that we're still adding solar systems and we're still adding yeah. wind systems and we're still adding other technologies storage and so on to the grid yeah. but it's not actually done in a coordinated or a deliberate fashion right and some people worry that this chronic aspect of coal capacity declining in this country will eventually lead us to an acute incident where there's an a grid reliability issue yeah there's an outage i don't actually see that risk happening yet it seems like every year we sort of somehow dodge that bullet even when we think we're pretty sure it's going to happen. Right. And largely that's been because grid power demand in this country has been flat to declining for over a decade now. Right. Pretty much across the country. And so the capacity that we think we're going to need, we don't don't actually need. need. And then when you have an outage, it turns out that we can accommodate it. Well, that's a good lead into the second principle, which is to save first. We hope you've enjoyed this free sample of the Energy Transition Show. Our full episodes cover much more and are generally at least an hour long. In addition to two full new episodes each month, subscribers can also view interactive transcripts of our interviews and explore our extensive show notes with links to all of the research resources and news items for each episode. Our subscription podcast works in all podcast apps and players, including iTunes, and is downloadable. The first 33 episodes of the Energy Transition Show were free and always will be, so if you want to see what our full shows contain, feel free to check those out. Then we hope you'll become a member and support our show. In order to bring you the most unfiltered, unbiased, honest information we can produce, we have elected not to take any sponsors or advertisers. 100% of the revenue that makes the Energy Transition Show possible comes from listener subscriptions. To become a subscriber and enjoy our full offerings, just point your browser to energytransitionshow.com and click the Become a Member button. There are several ways to become a subscriber. Annual subscriptions, which include full access to our entire back catalog of full-length episodes, are just $60 a year or $5 a month. Monthly subscriptions are just $6.99 a month and give you access to the two most recent episodes. Single episodes can be purchased for $7 each. We also offer half-priced annual subscriptions for universities. Students can purchase individual subscriptions, or professors can purchase bulk subscriptions for their classes. Numerous educators now use the Energy Transition Show as coursework, and their testimonials are available on request. And finally, we offer site licenses with group discounts on annual subscriptions for all members of institutions, such as corporations, nonprofits, and universities. So join us today and support our ad-free, hormone-free, organic, handcrafted, artisanal podcast featuring high-quality, cutting-edge interviews and news about the most important story of our time, energy transition. And now a quick look at some recent news items. Item 1. 
After months of wrangling and several tense days of negotiations, the owners of the troubled, still unfinished photonuclear plant in Georgia agreed in the final days of September to proceed with finishing the plant. The two-reactor expansion at Vodal is more than five years behind schedule and forecast to cost a total of $27 billion, almost double its original price tag. Majority owner Southern Company, which owns 46% of the plant, has maintained its support through repeated cost overruns, including a $2.3 billion additional charge announced in August. The Municipal Electric Authority of Georgia, or MEAG, which owns 23%, also voted to continue, but publicly owned Oglethorpe Power, with a 30% ownership share, said enough is enough and refused to allow additional cost overruns to fall on its ratepayer owners, which would have killed the plant. Southern rescued the deal by agreeing to have its subsidiary, Georgia Power, absorb the majority of additional cost overruns, up to $2.1 billion beyond the current price estimate, after which Georgia Power would become the buyer of last resort if the minority owners wanted to sell out. And now, perhaps we can put this saga, which has occupied at least one news item in nearly every episode of the show this year, to rest for a while, at least until the next big cost overrun or legal battle ensues. As of September 27th, when the agreement was struck, Southern Company shares were just 2.5% lower than they were a month earlier, and 8.3% lower than they were at the start of the year, suggesting that shareholders felt that all the possible bad news had pretty much been priced in already. Item 2. According to recently published data, the 100-megawatt, 129-megawatt-hour big battery that Tesla installed in South Australia last year is on track to pay for itself in under three years. Well, that's it for this episode of the Energy Transition Show. Thanks for listening. You can find our show archive and give us feedback and suggestions at energytransitionshow.com and follow us on Twitter at Transition Show. Our theme music was by Mike Sugar and Mark Burnfield, who you can find online at mikesugarmusic.com. The Energy Transition Show is a production of the XC Network.